So we both cried at a video recently, David and I. Jimmy, did you cry at that video? Me and Jocko watched it together, and we just thought it was very good. We both thought it was old video. Like, wow, this is really cool. This is a classic Casey, but then it was new. Yeah. Yeah, Casey Neistat put out a video uh, last week sometime. I don't know. It was about running running a marathon. And that doesn't do it justice. You have to watch the video. Like, I couldn't explain it to anybody, I don't think. He was trying to beat his record by minutes minutes like two and three and four minutes and that was his goal was to get under three minutes and three hours and he yeah under three hours right and he was running in how many races 25 something like that yeah over the course of the last several years and each race was a 25 26 mile marathon and he wanted to get under three hours and every he went through the whole series of why and how he wanted to get under that three hour mark and the last couple, it was only just two minutes, three minutes. And he's like, and that wasn't enough. He wanted to get under. Mm. And I don't want to ruin the ending, but it's good. If you if you look at it, it is a very like standard, well done storytelling video. Mm-hmm. It's got three acts. There's a villain because he hurts himself at the beginning, and then there's this thing that he has to overcome for the end. And it's just he is just phenomenal at storytelling. Yeah, he really is. One of the things that struck me when I was watching it was that, I mean, obviously, when you watch somebody on YouTube, this is obvious, but I'm saying it out loud because it was part of a bigger realization. You don't know everything about them, right? You see the part that they give you. You see the part that they share through the video or through whatever social media or whatever. So you see that part, and then you just assume some that the rest of their life that you don't see or you've not heard anything about is similar to yours. Like, there's probably a lot of overlap. You know, like, we had a similar this time in life or a similar that time in life. And then you watch a video like that and you're like, wait, you got hit by a car and they told you you would never run again 17 years ago? Yeah. That's crazy. Like, I never heard that story. I I saw that story. I knew that. I've known Casey Neistat as a guy that just runs all the time and makes me, a runner, feel like I don't run enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then then you find out he broke his leg in a car accident. And you're like, wow, now I'm even more worthless. Well, I don't, not like that. But it's (laughs) just, it's, it was one of those realizations where you're like, oh yeah, we don't really know most, most of each other. You know, like, unless we have a personal relationship, we don't really know anything about the backstory that makes each of us who we are and man i don't it's cool it's just it it makes people so much more interesting when you can look at them and realize like i really don't know very much about you even if i talk to you on a daily basis there's a part of your history a part of what made you who you are that i have never encountered and that's really cool you know it it, yeah like people are deeper than than we maybe i give them credit for or think about um but that was the thing that stuck out with me to me most in that video and just his persistence to like have a storyline not not for a video but a storyline in his head that he was willing to continue to chase for 17 years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to be able to pull that storyline together into a video that covers that amount of time is crazy one of the when i watch his videos and i see his archive of footage throughout his life it's crazy to think how he is just, he's filmed everything. Even before there was YouTube and a place to distribute videos, he filmed everything. And I remember getting my first video camera. I remember my first camera and I, I, I filmed stuff, but I don't know where any of that stuff is. It's amazing. His recall on his catalog is unbelievable. Yeah unbelievable did you guys yeah, I mean, have video cameras when you were younger yeah i have video cameras my first video camera i bought in 1985 i know where the boxes are but none of it's digitized and none of it probably works anymore because the tapes have haven't been archived i would assume they probably are okay they've been kept dry but not heated mm. cooled but, they're probably right? all right don't they need to be cooled well i mean it meant to say temperature control yeah yeah we we had a video camera growing up, um, probably when I was 
I don't know, middle school or something like that. We got a little CVHS camera. You remember those? It's like a VHS yeah. tape. That was but the on first a one. Yeah. Yep. And um, so we made a lot of silly movies as kids. Uh, and it, we were just at the age to where we knew somebody who could drive, you know, even if we weren't, me and my immediate friends weren't old enough to drive. So we got to take this camera to a lot of places. So recently, probably six months ago or something, I found a box of these tapes, and these were the same tapes that I recorded things on all the way up to when Janine and I got engaged, because I had our engagement on one of these tapes. Oh, wow. Mm. So I had multiple cameras, you know, across that same format. But anyway, I found this box that went all the way from, like, 7th, 8th grade up to when we got engaged, and I bought a little HDMI converter thing and, like, plugged it in and recorded all those things. So I digitized all of those tapes. And most of them were like my high school bands playing or me rollerblading around town and trying to do tricks, you know, and my friends like all shaky camera and stuff like stuff you would never want to watch. It has no purpose. It's not going to go anywhere. My kids don't want to see it, stuff like that. But it was so cool to be able to go back through those moments in my younger life, you know, Mm -hmm. and even like seeing my engagement to Jenny was I, I remember it, obviously. It was a big moment in my life, but to be able to see it from another perspective through a video mm-hmm. camera that somebody else was filming was kind of weird. It was kind of cool, yeah. but it yeah. was a, you know, it was like an out-of-body experience kind of seeing this moment that I remembered from a very different... We got we got engaged on a... We were in North Carolina, and we were on a river, this place called Sliding Rock, and you can climb up this rock face, and then you jump about... I don't know, 20, 30 feet down into the water, into this river, and it's like a deep spot, and everybody just climbs up and jumps. So we had a friend down on the bottom who wasn't doing this jump, and she was filming because she knew I was going to do it. We got to the top of this, climbed up this rock. I proposed. She said yes, and then I took the ring back from her because I didn't want her to jump and lose it. I took the ring back, (laughs) put it back in the bag, back in my pocket, closed the Velcro, then we jumped in, then we got out, and then I gave her the ring back. And so we have all this on video. You can see her. She's like, yay! And I took it back, and she's like, wait, what? (laughs) And then Uh, then we jump. But seeing that not from the high perspective, you know, not from the the kneeling perspective to see all that from somewhere else was really cool. But then that makes me think about like Casey's archive of stuff and how the majority of his perspective, his video is from his perspective. He was filming it. And so he has this, this first person archive of moments in his life that, you know, he can see it exactly as he saw it in the moment, not as someone else saw it, which I don't know. That's another really cool thing. I, do you remember before phones were able to record video, there was a little, fl- I think it was called a flip camera. It was a 1080 oh, yeah. HD camera that would fit in your pocket. Yeah. And I had one of those. And this is, I'm not sure the exact date, 2007-ish. Um, my band and Kelly's band were playing on a, at a New Year's Eve show. We were opening for this other bigger band called Grand Buffet. And I made a video. I didn't know Kelly at this time, but I made a video where I asked probably 30, 35 people what your New Year's resolution was. And Kelly is in that video. That is the, it's basically the night I met Kelly. And she is in this video that I made it. And it's on my um, uh, Vimeo. Is that the other YouTube or the other video <laughs> account? Yeah. yeah. That video is on my, <laughs> on my Vimeo. And I look back at it, I'm like, that's not a bad video to make as your first, like, kind of video with with a purpose. And she's on there, and a bunch of my friends are on there, and I don't know. It's just, anybody who's 20 years younger than us, their whole lives are going to be in photos Mm -hmm. and videos. So there's this whole next generation of amazing filmmakers who are going to be able to tell their life story. I mean, just think about all the Netflix documentaries that are, that will be coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything so is on video now. Did, did we talk about the thing a few weeks ago where everybody was posting pictures of themselves at 21? Did we talk? To I, I saw it. I didn't, I didn't participate. It was really funny. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> here's why, because I saw that being posted and, you know, going around Instagram and everybody's like, you know, share your picture of you at 21 or whatever. 
And everybody, it dawned on me that everybody that was doing it, all they had to do was search through their phone to find a picture of them at 21. (laughs) The three of us would have had to go to the attic, pull out a box full of photos, flip through them, and then try to remember, how old was I at this point? I have no idea because I didn't write it on the back of the picture, you know? Yeah. Just one of those things. But. If you were lucky, you got your prints back, and it had the date printed on the, on the back of the photo, uh, or you had your yeah. camera embed the the date on the front of it, which yeah. was a big no no. Yeah, <laughs> made for not classy photos. But yeah, so I I've been cleaning out my dad's house, and I found the other day I brought it home, and at the moment I can't get it working, but I got the video camera. Now I know these aren't cameras. My dad was a junk collector, so none of these things that I ever had were from my childhood. The ones I have from my childhood, I still possess that I had. But I found a VHS. It's a Super Eight Sony. It's the same exact one from Back to the Future, the first season, the first episode of Back to the, the one he's holding in the parking lot at Twin Peaks. And oh, wow. it's all looks brand new in a box, but it was kept outside. Didn't seem to get any water damage, but it was outside under bunch of stuff so it's got some weather coming who knows it could be that could have been there for 10 years no my the reason my dad had a lot of stuff and this goes back to um hoarding my dad for 20 30 years would work the donations at the church he would take in the donations sift through them and then they'd have the church sale every memorial day weekend or whenever it was and he had a chance to cull whatever anybody brought in and it was all people just donated stuff and my dad would always take what he wanted with everybody else that worked there and then they would sell everything else and so that's why going through my dad's stuff there's hundreds of cameras hundreds of well probably tens of video cameras tons of tools all because people would bring in like here's a toolbox that was my dad's and my dad would take out what he wanted and then give the thing for sale so that is why my dad has millions of everything hundreds and hundreds of everything Hmm. That being said, this VHS camera is the Super 8, and it's got a tape, and it says Winter 88 on it. I don't know what's in it, so I popped it into the thing. It turned on. You could see through the lens. It actually it looks fuzzy. It looks like this. It looks brand new, by the way. It's like in perfect condition, but it was probably like a lot of moisture damage. But I popped the tape in, and I can't get it to play, and I can't get it to eject. So I'm going to work on that a little bit. But it is very cool. Mm-hmm. It's just somebody's donated thing, so I don't know what's on the tape. My, I was with my friend. He goes, "You better be careful watching that tape." I said, "That's not my dad's. I'm not worried." <laughs> but l- long story short, I I couldn't get it to play, but I still want to play with it some more. I did find another one, which was a, I think it was also a Super Eight, and that's sitting here on the floor again. Another donated thing with some stranger talking at a podium, but that one turned on right away. But this one is the exact one from Back to the Future, which is why it's exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You probably sell that the to ingenuity. some cosplayer. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's true. It's uh, the ingenuity of how far cameras have come is just unbelievable. That's like a deck player, and then half of the back is a deck player, and the front is the camera. And I, I was holding it in my hands for a minute, not realizing why it's a big, perfect square. But the whole lens cover creates a, a square on the whole front of the camera, so you pop it off, and then it looks just like the one from the movie. Hmm. Anyway... I'll play with that and I'll show it. It's in this beautiful box. My friend said this looks like a box that has the nuclear codes, but it's, I think it was probably 1985, maybe 84. You know, they probably made it for a few years. Yeah. Anyway, that's a boring story, but I do have all my own VH, all my cameras that I owned. They're all in boxes. I'm not like Casey where they're labeled on a shelf, but I do have everything that I've ever shot from 85 forward. And when, when I was growing up, we had, In 1984, my friend Mike and Sean, two brothers, they had a Halloween party. They brought in a flatbed truck and a group of our other friends who did a Black Sabbath cover band. They played Black Sabbath on the back of this flatbed truck. And we had this huge Halloween party where like three towns got together. And I I filmed and documented the entire thing. The tape was Hmm. like an hour and a half long. And that tape was went viral in my town. I gave out copies of that to everybody. <laughs> and then when went from it was you said C V A V H S C, then it went to to eight, and then it went I to D V. Yeah. And then it went to D V. I made copies on D V and then I made copies on discs. So I ended up making probably twenty copies of that. And I and I, every time there's a funeral and we get together, my friends are always like yeah, I don't know where my copy is. I lost it. And nobody has the copy, so they're all leaning on me because we've had a few funerals. 
recently. We've had a couple of our fathers have died, so we've all gotten together, and everyone's asking me. If I find that, I'm definitely going to put it on Patreon, because it will get like 10 views on regular YouTube. But if I find it, I'll put it on Patreon. And in that video, I was upside down. That was my Halloween costume, so I had a tie with wire in it. That was My hair, I had really long hair, was like was puffed up so the whole thing i made it look like my sleeves were hiked up i made it look like i was walking around upside down that was my halloween costume <laughs> awesome. and there's only one second where somebody grabs the camera from me and films me <laughs> and, and i'm filming everybody else and then it's the performance of the few black sabbath songs were done very well by my my buddies that are all very very accomplished musicians still and this is 35 years ago so anyway one of these days i'll find that and play it <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should put it on, maybe just put it on another channel, and then anytime, you know, people from your past ask you about it, you can just like, yeah, here's the yeah. URL. My dad um, recently converted a lot of, I guess they were, I don't think they were Super 8, they were probably eight, just 8 millimeter film, or maybe 16, I don't remember. But he had all these film canisters, because his dad would shoot... Uh, film of them doing different things when they were boys. This would be in the you know 50s. And so he bought this little Kodak like reel-to-reel thing that you, you pop the reels on and it has like an HDMI out and will just record whatever's playing through. And so you can... And it was not expensive or anything. And it'll it'll just easily digitize these rolls of film. And so he went through all these old rolls that he had, some that were left here at the house from my granddad. And he put them all up on YouTube and, you know, shared them around to his brothers and other family members and stuff. And it was them camping as kids and doing Boy Scout, you know, hikes. And they used to water ski a lot. So it's just, it's this really interesting, you know, no audio, really interesting glimpse into... I don't know, just like normal life stuff, fun family stuff from the 50s. Hmm. And even silly things like there, uh, there's a couple of them sledding. And so it's, you know, th- these three young boys out sledding and he's, my granddad's like filming it. And there's this one hill here now. Er, well, I mean, the hill is still here. But now there's a veterinarian office there and it goes down into the back of a neighborhood. And, and at that time it was like on the edge of town. And so they would go up to the top of this hill and they would sled down and they'd have to stop right before they went into a creek. And so there's this, and he always told me about that. And then there's this film of them doing it. And at the top, they're trying to stay warm and there's this big fire of tires. <laughs> there's just like burning whatever yeah. so all the neighborhood kids can, you know, it's like a different time. It's like a totally it, different It's still burning to scenario. this day. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> But anyway, it it was really cool to be able to see those videos of him as a kid. Um, and around that same time is when I was like, oh, I, I have these these tapes. I should probably do that with, you know, before I lose the ability to convert them, you know, before the, you know, the technology outruns that conversion. Um, but I think at this point, it's pretty inexpensive to get a way to convert any kind of old film or video or even audio, you know, to something that you could... Um, you can keep and pass on if it's valuable. But then at the same time, looking back at that stuff, Casey does a great job of taking old stuff that's personal and making it valuable in in the context of a bigger story. My stuff is probably not ever going to be that. And it may be a generation or maybe two of my family that gives a rip about my videos, my home videos, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. You know, these things don't have to be like, they don't have to go on forever, but it would be cool to share them with my kids and grandkids and stuff. So, most of my old videos are all my cameras. My so I have a one is a high eight camera and the other one's a VHSC camera. One belonged to my dad, one belonged to my grandpa, and then they ended up not using them as much as they thought they would, and they gave them to me. Most of my footage from those cameras are just on a tripod at coffee houses, at bars me in in bands and me filming my my friends bands and a couple times i've gotten some of these tapes out i'm like oh it'd be cool to post my old man up on facebook and i go through it and i'm like nope i don't want people to see this this is (laughs) really bad yeah and i've got a bunch of those too from like when i was in college and the bands and even after college and stuff and those cameras 
would never, even if that sounded good in the moment, it doesn't sound good through one of those microphones on the camera. Nope. So it's not even worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, what are you guys, uh, what have you been up to? What have you been, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been experimenting with, <clears throat> I've been experimenting with, you see how the, they make fake neon these days? With the, like with the, the LED, LED strips? Yeah. I started experimenting with that because we might do, there might be a business venture with making these neon signs. And so my partners sent me some supplies and said, experiment with it. And the reason I bring this up, it's an interesting, I've seen some stuff. So Jordan, when you hear this, I've seen the things you've sent me, but I've been resisting going and looking exactly how it's done because my job is to innovate. That's my, my role in this is to innovate simple new ways to make this happen faster or to make it more efficient, whatever it might be. Might be might not be faster, but it might be more cost effective one way or the other. That's my my role with this neon pursuit. And so I got the supplies, I cut a sign, I went through the motions as if what I vaguely seen in some of the videos and had a little difficult time. And the whole time I'm thinking, if this was like this, that would be better. And if that was like that, that would be better. And if that was like that, that would be better. And last night I redesigned my cut path it's a, a word. I just I'm using the word I make, and I'm just going to say I make it neon. It's fake neon. It's LED backed rubber strips, and the rubber strips light up like neon. And the reason I bring it up, it's interesting to just do something you've never, I've never ever done this before. And I'm also not very good at soldering because I don't solder a lot, and I have to solder the ends of the wires. Have to you have to run the electrical connection to each letter one at a time with wires. And so I was like, let me just go through this cold and see where the average person who does this what with his bottlenecks. And it's been it's been a great experiment. And I'm waiting on the power pack so I could see if my seat my solder joints work. So the power pack will come today. But I also opened up as I was having problems, I opened up Amazon. I'm like, I need better wire. So I found the right wire. I closed that. I'm like, I need a better soldering iron. I opened up Amazon, I ordered that. <laughs> I need this tool. I order that. And then I'm like, what's the difference between laser versus, you need a channel. So if I'm going to laser cut, it has to be two pieces. I cut out the complete letters and then leave the channel and glue it to another backer. Or if I CNC it on the router table, I got to leave a channel, but then that's messy. So I'm going through all these iterations. At the moment, I only have one in front of me. But today, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go cut another and a third. And I have some... I think I have some innovation. So I want to get one that works good, that goes together good, and then I'm going to watch the videos and see how other people done it. Yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of people, I think we all do, I do, we run to research. But sometimes I go to run to research and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to go down a path. I don't want to get locked into something. I don't want to start innovating on something that's not a good path to begin with. So I'm just going in very cold. And so that's that's been my week. I don't think I'm going to have a video this weekend. I might have a couple Patreon videos, but nothing for regular YouTube and yeah, it's, it's exciting to experiment with something new. It brings me back to my toy business days when I was always just given stuff by clients to like, play with this and let's see if we can make it better. Well, this is our product from two years ago. We want to make it better. Da, da, da. So, and I'd be, I used to work in this one toy company and I was the one always running around and they were all very corporate and they'd be like, oh, Jimmy's up to something again. I'd be like running around with a pot of chocolate, doing something, <laughs> melting sugar. Because we did a lot of candy stuff at this one place and I was the only guy that would innovate. They had a lot of partners, so they were taking products from all around the world, and then they'd give it to me. They'd be like, see if we can improve this. This is from Bluebird Toys in England. we got to make it better, one thing or another. So that's what I feel like I'm doing again. You're talking about uh, you know running to research. I think I have the opposite problem, and I think a middle ground is somewhere probably is the best, but I, I think I actively avoid research a lot of times. Yeah, that, so maybe, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of what I'm doing a little bit at this time. Yeah, but I mean, you're doing it on purpose. I think I naturally do it right. when I would maybe make it a lot easier on myself if I just did a little bit, <laughs> you know. Um, I find myself doing it out of fear because it's 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 like a fear-based thing. It's like, I don't want to confront all this technology. Hmm. Not fear. I don't even know what I'm scared of. It's just, I just don't want to, uh, like, I, I got this. I, I can figure it out. I don't need anybody's yeah. help. It's like a little of all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, for me, anyway, it's fun to figure it out and just to be told something 
You know, like, here's the path to get to the thing you want to get to. I mean, like, okay. <laughs> That's not, like, I don't really want the end result so much as I want to enjoy the figuring out of getting to the thing, you know? Um, so I think a lot of times I'll avoid research simply because I enjoy the, I don't, I don't know, the experimentation or something. Knowing that it, I'm doing it wrong. Knowing that I'm not being the most efficient in getting to the end result. But that's not really the thing I enjoy that much. And I think, you know, well, we've talked about this before, but I think from a viewer's perspective, that can be pretty frustrating to watch because they know that there's an answer out there already. And from their perspective, I'm avoiding time saving or avoiding doing it the best way possible for the sake of just figuring it out. But that's not really something I can explain to a viewer. You know, I can't explain to like everybody why I'm making all the choices I'm making, but I enjoy fumbling through something for a little while more than I enjoy just like, here's the paper that tells you how to do the thing. Now I'm going to make a video following the paper. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's not me. No instructions. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Heard that before. Yeah. Well, David, what have you been up to? I'm still working on the stereo stand. I'm almost done. Still? I know, right? <laughs> um, I'm putting the last coat of finish on there. I'll send you guys a, a photo. There are no 90-degree joints in this entire thing. Oh. And um, so it's it's a little bit different. So all the, all the people who are like, you need to get out of this mid-century modern design and do something else. This is it right here. It's, it's super weird. Um. But yeah, so there's, you know, as you can see in the photo, there's three pieces. There's the main cabinet that holds the record player, and then the records are going to go in that little hole there. So you can flip through there. The bottom part is the drawer. And then we were working on the, the stands. The stands was the hardest part to figure out because I didn't have a design for them. And I kept wanting to repeat the trapezoid, but in mm. all the drawings, it would just take away from the centerpiece and everything just looked too heavy. And so then I was like, well, we'll just make basically like a, like a post. looks like a big capital letter I. And then Daniel's like, what if you chopped it right here and did this weird angle, same, the same angle that's in the cabinet? And I'm like, hmm, let's give that a shot. And then I think it came out great. So after three and a half weeks, we'll finally be done. I'm not sure that I'll have the video done by this weekend, but, it, but I promise by the next episode of making it, I will. I will have it done. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I've been working yeah, on. That um, looks cool. Off camera, I've been working on coming up with a, a finish, a, a, a finish that works for me. A couple weeks ago, I recommended this video by Thomas Mosier. They're a high-end furniture company. They make like all their furniture is like starts at like five thousand dollars. And in this video, it shows their uh, the wood shop where they make it. It's a it's a production facility, but everything is it's like a handmade production facility. Like there is a guy at a planer feeding boards through, and somebody at table saws. And and in the video, they said our finishing process is two days. We do one day, one day. We do it's a mixture of boiled linseed oil with resins and drying agents and it's a proprietary blend and then the next day we wax and that's it it's just a two-day process and their furniture is phenomenal and i'm like i want a two-day process because right now whenever i want a nice finish it's usually like one coat of poly or a blend that i come up with a day for over five days sometimes i just want to move on to the next thing and it only gets one or two coats and that that shows after a while so i went down this whole rabbit hole of okay like if i get boiled linseed oil what are resins and dryers that i could add to it and basically the only drying agents that are available is the stuff it's it's basically magnesium and cobalt which you can get in the stuff called japan dryer i don't know if you guys have ever heard of japan dryer so i think i have yeah, it, it's um, it's you can add it to oil-based paints. You can add it to boiled linseed oil, and it greatly increases the drying time. Uh, oil dries hmm. not by 
uh, evaporation, but it dries by oxidation. So it increases that speed. So I got some of that and I'm playing with some boiled linseed oil and I was like, this does work, but I hate it. The Japan dryer just smelled like cancer. So then like, all right, I'm going to, I went down this huge right. rabbit hole. Like, okay, I want to avoid cancer as much as possible. And I want to, I want it to be, idea. I want it to, yeah, I want this finish <laughs> to be so drinkable. I like, I, I want it, you should be able to eat this and be okay. And so I found some, so there's linseed oil, which is all natural. And then they, it's boiled. And then m most companies will add some drying agents to that. And I found some boiled linseed oil, uh, the, the, the boiling, it's not really boiled. It's just heated up over time. That process allows it to dry faster when, when used. So I found some boiled linseed oil without any additives whatsoever. And I added some shellac to it. I'd play with a whole bunch of different ratios of shellac. And i I think I have the formula down for that first coat. So I don't have any extra drying agents, so it still takes like 12 to 14 hours to dry. And when I say dry, I mean dry to the touch. Oil actually takes maybe weeks to fully cure. And then so now I'm working on that, that wax finish over top of that. And so I've been keeping track like a like a diary or like a journal of what i'm doing but i haven't been filming it so it will be a video but i'm not pursuing this for a video this is like i'm doing this just for me to try to find a two-day process that looks amazing that works and and with the way i work and i've been really happy so this the stereo stand is the first project to use that that finish that i'm coming up with and i think next Ooh. month when i'm done with my experimentations I'll, uh, I'll I'll post the formula up online. Hmm. I know you're gonna. I know what you're gonna say. I know okay. what you're gonna say. But you put in science time to figure out the formula. Yeah. This is a product that you could sell to serve people like you with a very specific solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why you wouldn't pursue turning that into something that could be manufactured by somebody else and sold as your product? Yeah. Uh, a couple things. Uh, I don't want to be support. I don't want to be support for somebody else trying to apply finish and answering questions and stuff like that. Um, I think, I suppose I could find somebody else to manufacture it. It's, it's trying to, I think to do it right is to find raw linseed oil, which comes from flaxseed, then go through the heating process, which is, um, some places do it for 40 hours, some places do it for a couple weeks. And then, and then taking that and then um, getting the mixture of, of that. But I don't know. Even so, even the shellac, I like I went I went crazy with this, even the shellac, like normally you mix shellac flakes with denatured alcohol. I went to the liquor store and got Everclear. And I'm mixing my flakes with with Everclear, dewax flakes. I'll go over the reasons why in in the video. So even the shellac part of this is is drinkable, and everything is is all natural. Um, Everclear I, I, is drinkable in quotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. So when I went to the liquor store to get Everclear, on the shelf they had seventy five percent Everclear, and I needed ninety five percent. And the 95% is just pure grain alcohol, and the rest of it is, is water. And I asked, like, hey, do you have the 95%? And they're like, yeah, come on into the back. And I had to go into the back room. And this has probably has to do with, like, Ohio laws. But I had to fill out a piece of paper saying who I am, my address, why I'm using this, and sign buying a, thing, a gun. And, yeah, and sign a thing saying this is not for human consumption. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, so there's crazy laws in Ohio for 95% Everclear. I don't know why anybody else would buy it, what you would buy it for. But, yeah, I had to sign all this paperwork saying I, I wouldn't use this for making drinks. So, uh, and then, then the wax finish that I'm working on, I'm, a, uh, I'm on version 2, and it's still not quite right, but it's all carnauba wax, beeswax, and um, citrus oil, uh, 
basically it's just pure citrus oil and a little bit of um, boiled linseed oil. So I've been working on this formula. I don't think I want to sell it because it's actually pretty easy to make. And I think it's just better for me to teach somebody else how to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I I knew that you were going to say that. (laughs) The reason I'm asking, and I'm going to push back, not that you have to listen to me at all, but to encourage you, I think, I think you, I struggle with finding a problem that I can build a solution for, for other people. Mm -hmm. I, I wish that I could identify those problems. All of the things that I solve are very specific to me. Yeah. And so I think you have an, you have a thing there where you put in a lot of experimentation research and you have a solution for a problem that is not just you. It is for woodworkers. I think the the support end of it and the manufacturing end of it, even the marketing end, end of it, could be done completely out of your hands. And I think they should be, right? That's not the thing that you want to get to right. do. But and, and the reason that this is it like triggered my interest is because I was thinking a couple of weeks ago about somebody was making some soap or something. I don't remember exactly what the scenario was, but it was a same kind of thing where you have to like experiment with mixtures and you're getting these raw materials and you're you're trying to find the right formula for this whatever it was. And I thought like how do how do you how do you know say you want to make I don't know a floor cleaner and it's just like some person makes their own floor cleaner. How do you get started with material science and you know chemistry to be able to get the elements that you need to mix the thing. And then once you find the formula for the perfect solution for your problem, what do you do with that? Where do you take that? How do you get somebody to make that for mm-hmm. you? How do you, you know what I mean? Like we buy cleaners and stuff all the time that were developed by somebody, you know, in a lab somewhere, not probably somebody at home, but they were, de- they were developed and there's gotta be a process for each of us. If, if you have a solution for a problem like that, to be able to get it from experimenting in your garage to manufactured and sold. And when you look across Instagram, especially with like, there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of natural based like uh, deodorants and shampoos and like body products and stuff that are being developed by small companies. I'm like, those people have to source the stuff to mix the thing, to find the thing, and then they figure out how to sell it. It's very complicated to get it right. Yeah, that whole process seems wild to me. I think, but you have the beginning of that done. Is the reason I'm bringing yeah. it up. You have the first part of that whole confusing process, pretty much done. You know. I think there are. I also don't know that there's a market for that because there are hundreds of off-the-shelf products you can just go and buy, and they will work perfect for 99% of the people out there. I want mine to be. And just all natural, all plant-based. You could drink it and not die. You can touch it with your hands, and I and you could and you could easily do that now. You could go get some tongue oil, put it on top of something, let it dry, and then go get some. Um, you could put a coat of shellac on there, which is all natural. You can get your own Everclear and mix and mix that. Uh, and then you could just get some beeswax and put it over top of that. Like, yeah, but that's three steps. It is. <laughs> you, you already broke it down. You already made it better. Yeah. And as someone who always only puts one coat of finish, yeah. I don't care the situation. I don't care if it's our living room table, dining room, <laughs> dining, living room table, dining room table. Yeah. I'm still lazy enough to only put on one coat, man. So if there was a solution that was all natural that I knew was food safe, I'd buy it. Hmm. And I'm not the only one. I guarantee it. Right. Something to think not about. Not to pressure you, but yeah. I'm pressuring you. Yeah. <laughs> and the, Dave's never going to make it. I, it, it I know. It's also like I'm, I'm ready for the the pushback in the beginning of the video of people saying yeah you can already buy all this stuff off the shelf or there are already articles and blogs and forums and youtube videos saying here's the ratio that you should use we'll see see. but all of us are proof that yeah you can just go buy a table you can go buy a stool (laughs) it's it's all about the personal experience the personal learning and you can go buy a a treasure chest made out of a log that has a skull on the front of it but you can also (laughs) make your own 
You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. we we are that that person that can do it. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think you got an opportunity there. You'll see. That to get somebody else to do this with your idea. I, I'm not saying like you should start mixing this stuff at home and selling it out of bottles out of the trunk of your car, but like I think you have a thing there, a solution. And and I'm excited about this for you because this is the kind of solution that I've been trying to like. I want to have the solution to somebody's problem mm. <laughs> really badly. I would I would love to be able to solve somebody's problem, and it sounds like you kind of have one. So. Anyway, I'm done. I'm not going to try to convince you. All right, you. so if there's anybody so, out there who can <laughs> put me in the direction for somebody who can manufacture this two-step process, send them my way. Yeah. So one of the things I've been, I don't want to give the idea away, but one of the reasons that this has been on my mind, the, the material science end of things, is because I had this idea based on there's some kind of sports medical material that my kids have come in contact with soccer, you know, and I, I see the sports medicine people around using different things. And I had an idea for a, a more sustainable way to do some of the medical stuff. And it's just a matter of finding the right materials and then being able to <clears throat> use different materials to manufacture the same sports medicine stuff. And, that was when I was kind of like, yeah, but like, how do you, how, how do you find, you know, like, how do I find somebody that grows bamboo or whatever in a way that I could then convert into this, you know, like I have the general idea, but I have no idea about getting the correct materials and being able to even test manufacture this stuff to see if it would work. So it's, it's one of those things where I have a, I think a pretty good idea that again is a sustainability thing. It's like, it's not going to be the cheapest option. It's not going to be the one that 90% of the people go for. But I know my wife, if she was buying two materials and she saw one that was sustainable and one that was not, she would buy the sustainable one, even if it was more expensive. And so I know that there's a market for that kind of a thing. Um, but I don't even know with my idea, I don't know how to even like start down the finding the right stuff to work with path. Um, and I don't even know who to talk to about figuring out how to get started. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure how that material, the material stuff works. It's one thing to design something. It's another thing to be able to source materials that are not MDF and not plywood and not, you know, things that we use on a regular basis. Do you have any experience with that, Jimmy? Is that? Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking I, in my days in the toy business, we always had food scientists because there were products that worked that we worked on that had to do with candy. And that's what I was talking about. When I was experimenting, I was really just experimenting with the, the instructions of kits. Like I said, we did a lot of this one company I worked for. We did a lot of licensing partnerships with European companies. We brought a lot of European products to America and some of them were food based. So it was up to me to experiment with the, the products that come with it. Or a lot of them would go get this candy and then use it this device to make molds or whatever. But there were a couple of guys, there was a couple of food scientists that we dealt with that dealt specifically, they would like deconstruct Pop-Tarts and stuff like that and figure out how to, the, the easy bake oven chemistry, all that type of stuff. So there is a very big food science uh, thing. And these guys also worked, they worked in the toy business, but they also worked in other type product, not necessarily the toys, but all food related. Dave? Did you just mention Pop-Tarts? Yes. Bob, what did we learn this morning? That's why it's the familiar. I forgot. The inventor <laughs> of the Pop-Tart passed away. All right. Carry on. Do we know his name? Uh, I can look it up, but I don't remember. Joe Pop-Tart Smith. Mr. Mr. Tart. I don't know. <clears throat> but there are... I, I can reach out and find people if I need to. My brother Joe, he's still in touch with a lot of these type of people. William but when Post. it comes... To, his name was William Post. William Post. Oh. I wonder if that's Post Serial. Yeah, Post... Yeah. No doubt. I don't know. I'll find out. Yeah. But Sorry. the uh, if you're looking to deconstruct products that are not injection moldable, like liquid fat, liquid, not necessarily food related, but let's say, for instance, a hand cream, what goes into a hand cream, there's got to be people. Obviously, there are people, but there's got to be people in our audience is what I meant to say that could help us with that, help one of us with that. 
Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's a matter of, you know, we could always reach out to like some small business that is creating some sort of a liquid something. I, I was making the soap. It was just a licensing deal. These guys make soap and coffee for all the big YouTubers. And I wasn't big enough to sustain a, a living with it. We made a little bit of money, but it wasn't worth it. But they had all types of formulations for making the soap. And I said I wanted something with a grit in it. And because it was manufactured in a way where it was poured into molds, I got, after we decided to stop making it, I got this giant box that weighs 400 pounds. And then it was 10 rubber molds for my soap. It was all made mm. by pouring this liquid soap into these things. And then it calcified and became hard. And I wanted soap with grit in it. And this, the grit was always on one side because it was all poured in with the stuff and it would settle to the face yeah. of the mold. <laughs> so the grit was always on one side, which was kind of annoying to me. But to get more complicated would have been more of an investment and we all weren't sure it was worth it. But those people, I, I mean, I can get you in touch with those people. They make soap and they have all different, they're like, we could make up all different types of soap for you. And they gave me 10 samples and I picked one that I liked. So that's another type of scientist stuff when it comes um, to non non-tangible stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, there's all sorts of categories and stuff around this that you know require different things, and so I know it's not a simple thing. But watching, there's a channel that we, that my wife and I watch uh, called Wild Wonderful Off Grid, and it's this couple in West Virginia, yeah, and they built their own A-frame house, and they're building like another house on the back of their A-frame. They renovated a a cafe, and they started this cafe. They do all sorts of stuff, but in this new cafe they started selling candles and so they have several videos of them you know like they're they're buying wax pellets they have these big bins they're melting and formulating these different smells they're pouring all of their own candle you know candles like hundreds at a time they're shipping them out from there and that was one of the things and this was several weeks ago when they started announcing this stuff they sold all of them right off the bat probably to people that want to support them more than just like handle people or whatever but the fact that they were taking raw materials very simple raw materials but they figured out to get the smells that they wanted to get they figured out what oils they needed to add they got the process down to where the two of them a couple of friends and their kids can make hundreds of candles in an afternoon in-house and then ship them from there you know, that that was a pretty good example of kind of like a low bar way to get into something like that, I think. It was interesting to watch. Um, I mean, I have I worked in a candle store, so I have a little experience there as well. But it, it was kind of one of those like, oh, yeah, like people can make stuff like that. You know, you can mix things and then sell things. It'd be different if you were going to eat the candle, probably. But, you know, I don't know. So I think there's opportunity for stuff there. I just don't really know where to start. But that's me. Uh, I didn't. Talk you know, another thing, another way to approach, say, for instance, if you wanted to do a candle, is to not necessarily think of the formulation of it, but think of the product of it. A wacky example is there's a, an artist. I, I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. But he makes this is art, by the way. This isn't. But you could you could re-engineer it to be a product. <clears throat> he makes uh, full-scale human-sized candles of him and people he knows. Hmm. Urs Fisher. And then the part of the gallery show is the candle melts down. So it's not necessarily a formulation of wax. It's just the 3D object of a human being that is a candle. And you light the thing at the top of the head and throughout the gallery show, the entire body melts away. Mm. And then the, the body like melts down through the middle of the body and half the body. So it's just, it's this decomposing, you know, study of, of wax. It's interesting. So it's always curious to see like, Making an object out of wax as opposed to making the wax the product, you understand what I mean? And the wax yeah, is just yeah, incidental yeah. to what the object is. So there's other ways of looking at products like that. Yeah. I think, you know, the wax, or the wax, the candles that I made when I was in college at the store, I made the cores for these, but they went into those like fancy shops where they have a bunch of different colors and they, they carve down and fold down pieces of the wax to make it look like flowers oh, yeah, yeah. and ornate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was that kind of a thing. But then I saw, I don't know, several months back on Instagram, an artist who used that same process, but they did it with, like, uh, the one I saw was a, the core of it was a skull. And so they dipped the skull in a bunch of different colors, and then they went back and carved out 
like the eye sockets and the all the detail stuff. And so you had multicolor layers mm. to get all of the definition of a skull. And it, it ended up looking like kind of a Day of the Dead kind of skull. Lots of bright colors and everything. But the outside layer of it was white-ish. And so it was it was really, really cool. But definitely an art piece more than a, you know, like make your house smell good. I can't even imagine what that would smell like. You probably <laughs> wouldn't want to burn that one. But... Anyway, yeah, there's different purposes for stuff like that. And I think the art product or like home decor end of it is less appealing to me than the solving a problem for people. You know, like I just, I really would like to figure out how to solve a problem for people as a product. And I, I don't know what that is yet, but anyway. Uh,. I've been working on several things, nothing terribly interesting. I have like three videos going right now, which is very confusing to keep track of footage and what I need to accomplish on any given day, you know, because it's just like, I got to, we're trying to edit one. We're trying to, we missed last week and that video is coming out this week and we're trying to finish that one. And you know, it's just a lot. Um, but back and forth in the shop doing doing lots of different prop stuff and plastic stuff and 3D printing and uh, about to start in some furniture. So I've been doing a lot, but nothing terribly interesting. That's why I went. I just finished, uh, by the way, I, I, I probably make this a Patreon video. That's what I was saying in the beginning. But I just finished last night 53 whiskey boxes, and I haven't really shown them. Maybe I oh. could show them today on Instagram. But 53 whiskey boxes. And people keep asking me, why am I making the whiskey boxes? What is the point? Are they going to be in a retail shop? Where can I buy one? And the clarification of that is these whiskey boxes will go to vloggers and people that talk about whiskey, whiskey influencers. So Bullet is putting out a single malt in a new bottle, new colored bottle. It's, it's the same shape as a 750 milliliter bottle. And they will package a bottle and send it to somebody like us, but in their category. And they'll open it up and be like, oh, ta-da, look at this beautiful it's new Mr. Malt. Beast whiskey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's a bullet bourbon single malt is what it is. But it's uh, got a new label and the bottle has got a new color. It's all recycled. The bottle's all from recycled glass. So it's like this vague, it's the classic bullet 750 milliliter bottle, but it's got this like greenish look to it because it's, it's all recycled glass. It's like a multitude of different colors mixed together. And mm. the box I'm making is all from recycled materials. 90% of the 53 boxes are made from an old fence that I recovered. Huh. Yeah. So That's cool. And I ran out of a little bit of wood. I had to go to the sawmill and get some old gray wood. So that's, Just that's, didn't go steal somebody's fence? That'd be easier. Yeah, I could have. I should have, actually. Would have had all the wood I needed. It's interesting because I use leather. I was trying to think of an interesting way to make the hardware. So I used leather because it's all recycled. When I told the guys the leather was recycled from my leather bag business, they're like, oh, that's really cool. It used to be so a cow. Hinges, I recycled it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hinges are made out of leather and the, the locking device is made out of leather. When you said you were making furniture, it reminded me that I didn't say that. Mm. I don't mean to cut you off. No. So Jimmy I'm Schultz. done. I got, I got nothing else. Bob, do we have yeah. a... An update of the engine? <laughs> no. Repair? No. no. Nope. Nothing you should start changed. a channel like Bob's Engine Repair. And then every, each week you go, there's no update. You, no update. Video next week, no update. <laughs> there used to be this website, uh, Is a Bogota Alive? And for, yeah. <laughs> it just said yes until one day it said no. <laughs> Did we talk about him recently? Were we the ones who talked about him? I don't think so. I had a conversation about him somewhere, somewhere recently, and we were looking him up. Uh, Maybe it was just a private conversation w with friends. What is Abe Vigoda known for? Be uh, Barney Miller, right? But is there yeah other things? He was in Barney Miller. Then there was the TV show Fish. Yeah, he was uh, he was um, in The Godfather. He was a very oh, that's right. He was in The Godfather, and mm. Fish was an offshoot of Barney Miller, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a spinoff where he was, yeah. him and his wife, Bernice, I remember this clearly, they were taking foster kids from the New York foster care system. So the ca the house was always full of a cast of characters. It was an interesting story plot because they could always switch people out really quickly. If the character wasn't working, they were just moving through the house. Hmm. These are 
These are not shows that I watch. These are shows that my parents watch, and I did not like it when they watched yeah. these shows. Yeah, I'm your parents' age. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Wait, uh, look, can we clarify how old everybody is? Sure. No. I know. It's, can we can sure. we do an age check in? I'm going to be 57 in April, so that's in two months. I'm 48. I think I'm 46. Yeah. All right. So you guys are both 10 years younger than me. So yeah, it's it's not surprising that you guys didn't see fish. Yep. Didn't see that one. Sorry. Well, um, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters and then you guys can scramble to find something to recommend. Tessio. Big thanks to everybody over Patreon that supports us. We are very grateful as always for the support over there. Um, and there's a bunch of different levels you can support at. Some people get their name in the show notes. Some people get shout-outs, which I'm going to do in just a second. But everybody gets the after show, which is more of us just talking. Last week was fun. Jocko was on, and obviously you heard that probably. But the after show, we talked about product stuff more and you know other things. It was fun. Big thanks to the top supporters over there, though we are really grateful for Nick Ryan, Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Chad's Custom Creations. I should move those apart so they're not two Chads in a row. Anyway, Rich at Low and Design, Odin Leather Goods, Sean Beckner, Scott at Dad It Yourself DIY, Jeff at the New Janky Workshop, Warren Works, Michael Manegin, and Crabtree Creative. But also people like Tom Funk. He's also one of our supporters. And we're really grateful for all of them. So if you want to get the after show, you want to join that crew, go over to patreon.com slash making it. Join at any level and help out the show. We would appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. That. You guys got something cool to recommend? I've been watching. I just looked through my history and I didn't realize how many videos I've been watching. And I just mostly listen to them because I'm always working. I listen to them like podcasts. There's this channel, and I'll send it to you guys, called The Pilot Debrief. It keeps popping up, and it's all about accidents. But it's done very clinically. It's not It's not the, the, the host of the show, the host of the channel, is a former F-15 fighter pilot. Very technical. Very, like, he goes through. So this channel is only really, really to teach other pilots, the things that the technical, small little things that can go wrong when planes crash or not everybody and not everything ends in complete disaster. It's, it's all these documented stories and it's popped up because a few months ago, maybe in the summer, uh, a YouTube pilot died. She crashed with her and her father and she learned how to fly in the last year and a half. And then this, she would record herself flying. And he went through some of her videos where a lot of them are taken down now. But she made lots and lots of mistakes flying. And he's like, she should have focused more on flying and less on trying to make the video. Because a lot of times she's like, oh, oops, I forgot this. Oops, I forgot that. And then, unfortunately, she passed away. I think it's Tennessee Fly Girl was her name. It's kind of been in the news a little bit. And because I watched that, now I've been being fed this guy's stuff. And it's really interesting. I never want to fly, ever. I don't even want to be in a plane. I don't ever want to be at the controls of a plane. It completely does not interest me. But it is intriguing, all the technical aspects. And a lot of times he even says this person should not have gotten a license. There should have been, there should have been somebody, the teacher should have said, you're not qualified to fly. When he goes through the, and everything he does is usually NTSB. It's all stuff that's, he does proper documentation. You know, he's not just making his own assumptions. He's going through the NTSB investigations of certain airlines. And it's mostly all just small engine Long story short, it's interesting to me. So it might be interesting to you. Cool. Pilot debrief. Okay. What you got, David? So mine is, there's two, and I watched them back to back, and they, they kind of fit together. Uh, if you have Paramount Plus, there's a documentary called Thriller 40. So it's 40 years after Michael Jackson's story came out. And uh, interviews a lot of the musicians, some current musicians who the album, how their album affected their lives. Um, and so after that, I watched the show on Netflix called uh, The Greatest Night in Pop, which was all about the making of We Are the World. If you guys remember that. Uh, oh, yeah. Song. I heard about yeah. this on another podcast. Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting. Yeah. And Talk. so both of these were um 
produced by Quincy Jones, and it really just shows the genius of, of Quincy Jones. And so whatever you think of Michael Jackson, sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist. Um, there's just some amazing musicianship and how... These both of these ones an album, the other one's a song. How how these pieces of art came together? It's just really really good stories. And Quincy cool. is just amazing. Yeah, that's true. Um, mine is the newest video by Bobby Duke. I don't know if you guys have watched this, but he oh, made, I haven't seen it yet. He made a miniature house like from the studio Ghibli. I don't know how you say it. I always say it wrong, but it's like the um, Miyazaki is a director who made a bunch of anime movies of really famous Totoro and things like that. But anyway, so he made a little miniature house diorama that would fit in that world. And I love Bobby as a person. And then his work just blows my mind every single yeah, he's time. So good. The amount of effort he is willing to put into the smallest things. And man, you watch this video and he just, it, you know, he's like, I'm making a little wall. And it's all silly and goofy and he has like fart jokes and everything. <laughs> and I'm making a wall. And then I'm just going to make this little tile thing. And then I'm just going to make individual tiles out of ceramic for the ceiling. For it's the very effortless for him. It's amazing. And it just, he goes so deep into all the little stuff. And I watched it with my kids last night and they were just like, what in the world? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so cool, man. It's so cool. I immediately texted him. I was like, I don't know how you do stuff like that. I would love to be able to do that kind of detail. I just, I don't, I don't know how, but it's very cool. And he's so fun, you know? So anyway, go check that one out. Cool. You guys got anything else for this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did have something else. I forgot what it was though. That's what the after show is for. In the after show. Yeah. I'll remember. Cool. Well, thanks for listening everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Love you.